I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're looking at verses 57 through 62. Come to the last section of this chapter. Titled there, The Cost of Following Jesus, or the sermon's title is The Priority of Following Jesus. It's a fitting verse there from Behold Thou, uh, or Be Thou My Vision, this idea of um, Thou and Thou only, first in my heart, High King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. I think it's um, really, that summarizes this passage well. A few months ago, uh, we were at Costco. Our family was looking at Traeger's, and uh, our barbecue is kind of on its last leg, and so we were thinking of of getting something, and we thought about, we've heard good things about the Traeger's, and after talking to the salesman, we were on the verge of, of leaving with one. But we decided to grab some lunch at the food court and think it over beforehand. And personally, I had every intention of, of uh, going back and buying it. But after calling some folks over lunch, um, we had second thoughts. And we finished our lunch, and then we left the store without returning to talk to the, the trigger rep. And part of me felt like, was kind of abandoning him. You know, he was expecting us to return, expecting us to come back and, and talk, and, and we just left. And now I, I'm sure he's fairly used to that kind of treatment. I'm sure salesmen um, experience that all the time. People who walk away rarely return, even if they say they're going to. Uh, but that's why he suggested that we reserve the floor model that day and did everything he could to try to get us to walk away with something in our hands. Um, he knew there was little chance of us returning, I'm sure. And frankly, I didn't lose a whole lot of sleep about it, um, but the stakes weren't very high. And I mean, I don't think this killed his career uh, with Traeger by any means. I'm sure he so- was able to sell all of them in the time that he was there in Costco. Um, but on our passage this afternoon, we'll see three different individuals who ultimately walk away from Jesus. The stakes could not be higher. The first person, we don't know exactly what happens. They're willing to follow Jesus, but he discourages them. And then based on the other two um, responses, we assume that, that all three of them uh, were turned away from Jesus. But in either case, um, they all had excuses. They all had their own kind of reasoning behind why they could not follow Jesus at that time. And on the surface, we might sympathize with their situations. Some of them give what appear to be good circumstances. Like, why, why shouldn't that be acceptable? Yeah, go take care of that first and then come back. But it doesn't seem to have been an option for them. I think what we do find here... Um, is each one of these individuals was doing the same thing that we did to the Traeger rep. They're turning away. They're walking away from an offer with little hope of returning. And Jesus knew that better than any of them. There was, there has been a competitive and a a selfish attitude among the disciples of Jesus that has consistently been met with rebuke. We've seen that several times through the gospel of Luke, especially as, as they've been you know, competing and fighting for 
uh, you know, rec- wanting greater recognition themselves. However, they had counted the cost, it would seem, of following Jesus. They were willing to give up everything. And they were with him. They didn't leave him. They didn't depart. Ultimately, they made the right decision, even though they, it was filled with impure motives and complicated different um, purposes in their own minds about what they're going to experience. Maybe some of uh, um, their own reasoning behind it was to receive selfish rewards. But I think in the end, they were trying to do the right thing. They were wanting to please the Lord. They were moved by his calling upon their lives, and they were listening to the Holy Spirit guiding them. So the, the proof is in what they had already been willing to give up. They had walked away from relationships, walked away from careers, and they were now really following one who didn't have a place to rest, who didn't have a a station in life that could offer them greater resources and goods. They were dependent upon others every step of the way. So this passage is ultimately, I think, a commendation for them. Luke has been giving example after example, which kind of beats them up and brings them down, and here we finally see something to build up these disciples. It commends them that they were willing to make temporary sacrifices in order to gain an imperishable reward, and it reminded me as I was writing that of Jim Elliott's quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And they were willing to give up everything in this life to gain what, what Christ had given them and promised them that they could not lose. So that's the question for us. Are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of the cost? Receiving the free offer of the gospel might cost you everything. It's a free offer. And it doesn't require us to be a certain person or to have certain resources before we can respond to it. But when we respond to it, we ought to be willing to give everything because he's our Lord and he's worthy to receive it. Is Jesus worth everything to you? That's the question that ultimately is answered by the response from these individuals here three different times and it is the question that we have to answer for ourselves. So before we read it, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, once again we come to a passage that is familiar to us and yet one that we need to take some time to ponder ourselves, to consider the work that you might want to do in each of our hearts. Lord, help us not to think of others, to look or point the finger at others, but to think of our own commitment to you. To experience and feel the conviction that we need to feel. To respond in repentance and faith. That you would be glorified. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Read with me Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Amen. This is God's holy word. I do think it's easy for us to question the commitment of others. We all have our own idea of what commitment should look like. As a pastor, I might consider attendance at worship services, especially the afternoon service, as the pinnacle, the best indicator of a person's commitment to following Jesus. Uh, As a working father, you might think that commitment to Jesus looks like a willingness to sacrifice overtime or or, or advancement in your career in order to make sure you're prioritizing family. As a stay-at-home mother, you might think commitment to training up your children with biblical values as the pinnacle of sacrificial service to the Lord. As children, maybe you view honesty or helping out around the house as your obedience to Christ or just being kind to strangers and visitors. And I think all of these are good things. Of course, they're good, especially the first one. We all have some idea of what real commitment looks like, but let's simply focus upon ourselves as we study this text. Let's not point the finger at others, make ourselves feel a little bit better about our commitment because we are, in fact, superior. Let's not point the finger at others, but think about our own weaknesses in our commitment. Consider whether or not there are some things Jesus wants to point out in your own lives that might need adjustment. A life that follows close to Christ will experience its share of hardships, but we must remain urgent and focused in fulfilling our calling. So this first two verses in 57 and 58 uh, speak to the value of Jesus, that Jesus is more valuable than your comfort. Again, let me read. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The idea here is that the the value of the gospel is incomparable. We cannot sacrifice more than the gospel is worth. We ought to be willing to sell everything in order to gain a heavenly reward. And later on, Jesus will connect discipleship to renouncing everything that we have. It's equivalent to that. So we can expect to be uncomfortable in this life. This man was willing to follow Jesus wherever. Maybe he thought he was sort of referring to the expression of Ruth to Naomi. Wherever you go, I'll go. And he he was giving this great expression of dedication, and yet Jesus is saying, I don't think you know what you're committing yourself to. Have you counted the cost? Do you realize that we don't know where we're sleeping tonight? We will be rejected. We will be mocked. We will be persecuted. We will experience the same kinds of things that Jesus experienced in this life. So no one who commits to following Christ, this is what Kent Hughes says, no one who commits to following Christ and does so lives a life of ease. No one. If your Christianity has not brought discomfort into your life, then something is wrong. Now, the levels of discomfort, of course, are vastly different in 
our Western American Christianity and those in third world countries, right, especially where they're suffering persecution for their faith. We don't want to compare ourselves to them and think that, that we're in just as dire of a situation by any means. But Christianity will always call us to be contra, you know, countercultural, to put ourselves in areas where we are uncomfortable because we have to live differently or we have to call out and rebuke those who are compromising their faith. Right? We put ourselves in places of discomfort all the time because of our faith. So following Christ begins with a serious assessment of our willingness to endure to the end whatever the cost may be. Are we willing to take up our cross daily? Are we ready to forsake everyone and everything that hinders our walk with Christ? And do you value Jesus more than your comfort? And that's the, what this first example asks us to consider. Despite the hardships, we are to be urgent in fulfilling the task. And that's what we find next. Jesus is more important than your obligations, even your most important obligations. In 59 and 60, you have the, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This was the one obligation they had in their you know, from their understanding of um, Jewish teaching and tradition, it was, this is your highest priority, to go and bury your father. I take care of them in their old age. Um, and so if their father had died, they, would, they, would, they were free from the obligations they would have to the church, to their community, to everything, in, in order to go and take care of that first was what they recognized as their priority. It was their greatest obligation. Now, this, we don't know for sure if, if this is suggesting that the man, that his father had died, or if he's saying, let me bury him before I follow you. In, in other words, he's older in age, and he needs me to care for him, and I need to wait until, until that obligation is done and satisfied before I begin to follow you. So that's, that, to me, seems more likely the case here. Um, he wouldn't have the freedom to follow Jesus until he fulfills that obligation, but Jesus is pretty clear in his response. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the priority that he was giving him. But aren't we commended to honor our father and mother? That's the fifth commandment. Didn't Paul tell Timothy that a person is... It worse than an unbeliever if he's unwilling to care for his own family. 1 Timothy 5.8. So how do we make sense of this? Well, the kingdom of God supersedes every cultural commitment that we have. And at this time in redemptive history, there could be no greater obligation than to respond to what Jesus was commanding. The only proper response to Jesus' command was to follow him and to immediately do so, to be ready to go. His mission left no time for other affairs. R.C. Sproul says this, Right now, in terms of redemptive history, nothing else matters. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, Jesus was not setting down here a standard for all times. 
that we are always supposed to neglect our dead and wounded. No, he said, right now, the kingdom of God is at stake, and there is only one place you can be, and that is at the front line of the kingdom. It was a call, a, a, a call that required immediate response from the Lord. So just like the soldier is obligated to leave everything when he's called to duty, uh, the athlete makes serious dietary and exercise commitments in order to stay in best shape. Our, our God requires changes of us, requires sacrifices of us. Are his commands of first importance to you? Are those your priority? No one, even family, can take the place of your obligation to the Lord. And so is Jesus your first priority? Does your obligation to him remain central in every other obligation that you might have? And one of the clearest obligations we have is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And Jesus was exemplifying it here and his commitment to spreading the kingdom. So let us take up that mission with a renewed urgency. That's one response we should have to this passage. Not only should we be urgent, our task requires a great deal of focus. It requires saying no to other things so that we can continue to say yes to Christ. And maybe one of the hardest ones to understand is this last one, and more, that Jesus is more significant than your family. Verses 61 and 62, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, we are not worthy of him if we love him less than we love our parents and children. Jesus will make the shocking statement in chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's going to take some unpacking and we'll get to that later. But you can see kind of the building towards that statement. That's, that would be the climactic statement there. You would actually hate your own family and your own life. Uh, but he's, he's getting that, he's hinting at that even here. Right. That no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And, and that's the response to the one who just wants to go home and say goodbye to his family. But maybe more complicated than that, we don't know precisely what's wrapped up in this request. Jesus certainly knew his heart, and as he's responding to him, he knows the intent, and he knows possibly the same thing we knew when we were walking away from the Traeger rep. Uh, maybe this man has no intention of coming back after he says goodbye. But this man who, who wants to first say goodbye to his family is, is likened to a farmer who places his hand on the plow and then looks back. So I don't know much about farming. You may be surprised by that. I, I, I could read about it, but I don't know much about farming. Um, but I do know this, that if I'm moving forward, especially if I'm, I'm driving forward and looking backward all the time, I'm in danger of veering off course. And that seems to be the indication here, is that if the man has placed his hand on the plow and he's constantly looking back, 
that that plow, that, that furrow is not going to be very straight. It's going to be a, a terrible job. So either you, 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 know, you simply cannot give your full focus to two different purposes. Either you're committing your life to follow Christ and his mission, or you're continuing to live for yourself or others. That's what I think this example is showing. That he has too many priorities, too many purposes competing with the one Christ has given him here. And he was ultimately willing to sacrifice the priority to follow Christ in order to take up the other priorities. Uh, there's probably an allusion here to Elijah, uh, or Elisha, who was in the middle of plowing a field when Elijah called him to follow. But Elisha asked first, let me go and say farewell to my parents. You have the same example there in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And Elijah permits Elisha to go, to have a parting meal with his family. He finds that to be perfectly acceptable before he comes. So what could be the point here? If, in fact, Jesus is making an allusion to that text, then I think we can assume that he is calling our attention to the far greater importance of his mission and his ministry than any of the prophets that preceded him. And so we must not delay in following Christ when he calls us. And Jesus is probably also alluding to Lot's wife, who looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And the idea is she was looking back because she was longing for the life she had in Sodom and Gomorrah. She was longing for what she was leaving behind, very clearly indicating that her heart was not with, uh, with her husband, with the, with the request from the angels to depart and to, to get away, right? to change who, who they were living with and their, their lifestyle. Instead, she was longing to be back. And so that divided interest was, was proof that she was, wasn't really committed to leaving and obeying God. Daryl Bach says, those who cling to life on earth as it is are not ready for the reformation that salvation brings. And if, if your love, your greatest passion is for what this life has to offer, then you're not ready for what salvation calls you to, which is to give up whatever God requires you to do to give up in this life in order to gain what you cannot lose. Is your relationship with Jesus more significant than every other relationship? You can consider what others would ask, how they might answer that. And if they were to have a view of how you live your, your life, where would they see your priorities? How would they consider what you've given your heart to? What are the things that you wake up thinking about? What are the things you go to bed or that keep you awake? at night. Those are the things that begin to reveal uh, the idols of our heart, the things that we've given our heart to instead of God. William Hendrickson calls us to confirm what Christ is calling us to. He says, in his wandering from place to place, he, for whom there was no room in the inn, has no place to which he can figure to spend the night. As the story develops, Judea rejects him, Galilee casts him out. Gadara begs him to leave its district. Samaria refuses him lodging. Earth will not have him. And finally, even heaven forsakes him. 
The cost of our redemption could not have been more steep, and yet Christ endured the shame in our place. And because of Christ's death, we ought to live for him and no one else. That is Paul's instruction to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. So the disciples, once again, bringing it back to them, they exhibited the response that Jesus expects of all of us, a willingness to immediately leave everything behind and follow him. You can look at his calling of the disciples. That's, that's one phrase you'll hear over and over again is that they immediately left. They immediately set down their nets, leave, left their families to follow after Jesus. Are you willing to do the same? Let's pray.